From the campus at Northern State University, this is an EdTech podcast for South Dakota teachers. Hello, Dr. Frankham here again for another podcast episode. And I'm also here with Dr. Neville, an expert on learning styles. Well, multiple intelligences, I think, is your main area of interest. It is. Welcome. And so learning styles is the first part we're going to talk about. Then we'll go and talk about um, multiple intelligences a little bit. But learning styles has become pretty popular, I think, in education. Teachers often talk about this whole idea. So tell us a little bit about that first, Dr. Neville. Yeah, I think good teachers have always sought different ways to engage their students. So in some ways, the idea of multiple intelligences and learning styles really, I think, is something good teachers have always done. Yeah, and so learning styles overall, the idea is that each student has sort of a particular way of learning that works best for him or her. And uh, in learning styles theory, teachers must support this way of learning for each student. That's kind of the assumption with learning styles. And it is an older idea, I think. Um, It's been around for quite a while. And so they've had differing models throughout the years, like active versus reflective learning. Are they active learners? Do they want to do things or do they want to think about things as a reflective learner? Sensing versus intuitive, visual versus verbal. A lot of people have probably heard that. Visual learning. I'm a visual learner. And then sequential versus global. And I don't, I don't need to explain all of these because I'm not the biggest fan of learning styles. And there have been different models that have happened over the years as they've talked about it. But one of the main things I think teachers take away from this is that some students are maybe visual versus verbal or, or auditory. So that's uh, some of the basics of learning styles. One of the main learning styles theory tenets, though, is that you will always, if you are a student who is a visual learner, let's say, you will always learn better when learning in a modality that matches your learning style. So you'll always learn better in part of a visual learning experience. And there are some problems with this theory as we think about what types of content we're learning. So one of the problems that can come up with this is that maybe learners need to learn where the country Algeria is in Africa. And let's say they're a verbal learner. They need to, they, learning styles would predict that they need to learn things by listening instead of seeing. It's kind of hard to learn where Algeria is in Africa by listening to where it is, to a description of where it is in Africa. Instead, you really need to see it. So I think it kind of breaks down when you start to think about different concepts that you learn and the ways that you learn them. It's not always the case that you have to learn in your learning style. So learning styles is kind of broken down a little bit in that way that, um, you know, students who learn a certain way always have to learn that way. It's not always the case. And so what we have after that coming along, I think, is multiple intelligences, which to me is a more common sense view of learning. It's not an all or nothing type of a view. So why don't you describe multiple intelligences for us as a basic theory? Sure. It goes back to 1983 when Howard Gardner wrote a book called Frames of Mind, The Theory of Multiple Intelligences. And in that book, he laid out initially seven multiple intelligences. And today, I think most experts kind of agree there's eight or nine different multiple intelligences. And some people might think, well, for example, musical rhythmic, that's a talent or an ability. Well, back in 1983, Howard Gardner came up with eight different criteria for an intelligence. So, in other words, for this to be considered an intelligence, it has to meet each of these eight different criteria. And it was about 1993 or 4 that the eighth intelligence or multiple intelligence naturalist was added, 
And a lot of folks uh, agree today that the ninth would be existential intelligence. So that's just really a quick history of where we're at. And I agree, Dr. Franken, that educators really, I think, embrace this idea or this notion of multiple intelligences because I think good teachers want to reach all students. And by kind of subscribing to this theory that students learn and are smart in different ways um, holds a lot of water for many educators. Yeah, I think so too. And I think even the learning styles, if you embrace that and try to try to prepare different types of lessons for your students, that's a good thing. I'm not saying that that was bad. It's, and so I think it's been a good thing also. When we had our oral exams, for instance, more recently with master's students, many, many of them mentioned this as a theory that they really held on to and has really had some some weight in their uh, practice. And I think a challenge for a lot of educators is that it's easy to teach to your strength. So if I'm an auditory, if I'm a verbal linguistic learner, then because that's my strength, I might teach to that strength. Well, the challenge then for educators is to include all eight or nine multiple intelligences. And my suggestion always has been to include all eight or nine of those maybe at least once in a unit or once in a week. How would you differentiate this idea of multiple intelligences to more traditional or older views of intelligence? In 1983, I think this was really a drastic idea because our idea of intelligence, for some people it hasn't changed, but it goes back to the turn of the century and the old IQ test, which we still use IQ tests um, even today. And initially, IQ tests were used in World War I to determine what aptitude that a particular soldier might have or what might be officer material. Then it was used to determine enrollment in special education. So even today, we use um, intelligence tests. But yeah, it's a much broader view of intelligence, and we're realizing now that people have intelligences not just in sort of this book-smart view of what things are, but instead it's in a, a more broad way of, of intelligences. Right, absolutely. And I think those folks, myself included, who embrace this notion of multiple intelligences, we, we not only in our teaching, but in our assessment strategies. So we want to assess students in multiple ways so that we're accurately measuring what those students know. So Dr. Neville, uh, do you, let's say you take a multiple intelligences test and you, and you get um, something like visual in your test as your main area of multiple in, of intelligence. So does that mean that you have to learn visually all the time? Well, that's a great point, Dr. Frankham. I, I think that would be the natural tendency. So if this is my strength, then I always want to learn that way. Um, I think more importantly is that by identifying student strengths, we as educators try to, of course, teach to those strengths, but no, that's not the only way we learn. And I think certain subject areas lend themselves to certain multiple intelligences. Obviously, if I'm a music teacher, I'm going to make widespread use of the musical rhythmic intelligence. But once again, as educators, the challenge is to sprinkle in throughout your teaching pedagogy all of the different multiple intelligences. That's right. You, you, most teachers have a classroom full of students who have maybe different areas that they have strengths in in this, and so you probably can't always teach every lesson visually or verbally right. anyway. And, right. of course, the content that you cover is going to dictate some of that as well, as we mentioned with the Algeria example. So those are some important things to remember with multiple intelligences.
One of the big takeaways with this is that you can present materials in many different ways. It's not just a one-way thing that you do as teachers, and I think good teachers try to do this. Right, and one of the criticisms of multiple intelligence is that, you know, what what research base is there that supports the use of multiple intelligences? Well, I know in particular one gentleman who's at Kent State University, Branton Shear is his name, has done a lot of research um, looking specifically at, okay, those teachers who use multiple intelligence in their classroom, how do those students perform? And he does have a research base that suggests that by educators using them and assessing multiple intelligences that, yeah, even with state standardized tests or those different standardized measures that they do achieve at a higher level than teachers who do not use multiple intelligences. Okay, very good. So it's not like a teacher is trying to cater to a specific multiple intelligence or one of the intelligences there. It's a teacher trying to cover the broad range of them and try to reach all the students. Absolutely. And you'll see some elementary teachers who um, the use of centers has been around for a while, but in this idea of having centers in your classroom, you might have a verbal linguistic center, you might have a bodily kinesthetic center, and so on, so that you overtly are including all of the different multiple intelligences. Okay, so fantastic, and it's good to hear that. The research actually says that providing students with multiple ways to access content can improve learning, and providing students with multiple ways to demonstrate knowledge and skills increases engagement and learning. And then also providing students with multiple ways to demonstrate knowledge and skills leads to more accurate understanding by the teachers of students' knowledge and skills. Those are some of the research takeaways as well from this multiple intelligences approach. And I think the reason why I'm talking about this on a technology in education podcast is because technology allows us to do this a lot easier. In a lot of ways, you can provide multiple ways for students to access content easier when you have it in a technological format because you can change the format pretty easily once it's already there. And you can also provide students multiple ways to demonstrate their knowledge by, for instance, creating a PowerPoint presentation. A lot of teachers do that, writing a paper. Um, But there are a lot of other things they can do as well by creating uh, online sticky note walls of different concepts or a poplet of different concepts or a whole bunch of different ways that they can demonstrate their knowledge to try to reach the different multiple intelligences that are out there. So based on what we've talked about today, Dr. Neville, how can you recap what we've talked about today and and really give teachers some good advice on multiple intelligences? Sure. well, whenever I talk about multiple intelligences, I guess I always add this decl- this disclaimer first, and that is all students learn differently, or each student learns differently. So as an educator, I think just keeping that in the back of your mind, get to know your students. Spend some time at the beginning of each year, at the beginning of each semester, getting to know your students. I think you referred to a multiple intelligences survey. There are lots of those out there, and frankly, you can get those for free. You can take those online um, to get an idea of where your students are at. And we'll post a link to some of those surveys that I've used before on the website. Terrific. And then as an educator, um, examine, and here's the great thing about multiple intelligences, it's not really that I'm doing anything differently. I'm looking at what I'm already doing in my classroom. I'm bringing in other ways to maybe teach that same material, and then I take that a step further, and I assess in different ways. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Neville. Appreciate you coming. 
Thank you.